Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the Masson newsroom, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano, Brandon Mortensen here with you. We have gone polos, two buttons. If you listen to our last podcast, we're wearing the polos now. I thought about the one button, felt a little uncomfortable, went with the two buttons. If you're watching on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, you can see that we have the polos on with the two buttons. I may feel uncomfortable and, and switch it up back and forth throughout this podcast, Brendan. I think I usually go with the two buttons if you I'm do. going with the polo. I feel you like also tuck in the polo, which is, you know, a little formal for me. Well, sure. For my taste, you know. I, I suppose so. But I, I think the one button would be a little too informal for the Mass and All Access podcast because the podcast is of such high esteem and high class and quality. It truly is. That the the one button almost feels a little too casual. This is our Met Gala outfit, if you will. Exactly. You know? Um, Long-time listeners of the podcast will know about this softball saga, the, you know, league that we were involved in that wrapped up yesterday, softball league. Brendan, we both had games, separate games, semifinal games if we won last night it would have sent us to the championship game and we both lost we and did we, we neither of us combined for a single hit a walk did not get on base yesterday i would have loved to know what my expected batting average was yesterday i hit three scorchers to left field yeah. all of which were caught huge bummer huge i i hit one ball that was i mean this girl made an unbelievable catch i mean just like Jumped out of her seat, Dustin Pedroia at second base, uh, and then I my I made the last out of the entire season. Flew out to the warning track. That's always tough. Which is, you know, I'm going to be sitting all off season thinking about that one play and just a couple more feet. If I had just done a few more things in the off season, if I had just got that extra, you know, lift day in, maybe I would have had the strength to get that over yeah. the fence. But alas, but, yeah, I was I was imagining as the ball was in midair, a moment like from. Uh, you know, the the natural with the music playing and I was hitting the ball hits the lights. They explode in a field of glory. And I that is not what occurred. It would have made it a 10 to six game. So we still would have been losing by four. But uh, we were getting it ended up being 10 three. We got dominated. Yeah, that's tough. I think my game ended 13 to nine It was 10 to nine going into the seventh. And then they, they put a four spot up Oof. in the top of the seventh. And then we weren't able to come back. Hate to see it tough. All right. Uh, well, Let's talk about the Orioles, uh, the actual baseball team. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Anthony Santander, if you saw the title of this video. The Orioles potentially approaching a crossroads with Anthony Santander as they glimpse into his future. Also going to be talking about some standouts with the minor league season. We have just one week remaining in most of the minor league uh, seasons. Norfolk goes into October, but... For Bowie, for Aberdeen, for Delmarva, they have only one week of games remaining. So which teams are in playoff position? Which teams could show you something over the final week of the season? But first, Brendan, I want to talk about Ryan McKenna because we now have a significant sample size with McKenna. He's been up for 73 games so far this season. He has bounced back and forth between AAA Norfolk and Baltimore. And 
The numbers are not there right now for Ryan McKenna, but I am not overly concerned with his development. And I would go so far as to say, I think that he has shown you exactly what you were hoping to see and it, it, sort of what you expected from Ryan McKenna at this point in his development. Yeah, we talked about him on a recent podcast. Ryan McKenna is kind of in that weird limbo offensively where he is too good for AAA and the bat has not quite caught up to him in the majors up to this point. He's just, he's way too good for AAA. He's sitting over 300 in OPS over 1.1 with 11 homers in 27 games. So he doesn't have anything else to show you there offensively. He certainly doesn't have anything to show you there defensively because even at the major league level, he is a far above average corner outfielder defensively. He's probably an above average center fielder defensively as well it's really just the bat that needs to catch up a little bit and if triple a is any indication i think given more time we will see numbers that are better than what he is providing right now and i know it can be frustrating for fans who are watching it because he is getting regular playing time he's in the lineup for you know maybe about a third of the orioles game so far this season and he has not produced a whole lot he has just two homers just 197 average, 588 OPS, and just a .1 war, according to baseball reference. And that has been an issue for the Orioles not scoring runs. You have Cedric Mullins producing incredible offense in center. You have Austin Hayes doing about an average to above average job offensively, especially in the second half of the season in the other corner outfield spot. And then you have McKenna, who just has not been pulling his weight with the bat. However... He just turned 24 at the very beginning of the season, and a comparison that I'd like to make here is between current-day Ryan McKenna and Cedric Mullins of a couple years ago. Now, I'm not going to go ahead and say that Ryan McKenna is going to experience the kind of all-star jump that we saw from Cedric Mullins this season. He may never have a season like the season that Cedric Mullins is having, who is just sprinting. A few people do have a season that Cedric Mullins is having. Yeah, he's about to be a 33rd. I, I don't want to jinx it, but he's darn close. I think he's one homer and two stolen bases away from the first ever 30-30 season in Orioles history. And he's also the first ever to reach 29-28 and 28 in Orioles history. So, yeah, nobody in Orioles history has literally ever had a season like that before. However... I think that Ryan McKenna has a similar ceiling, and you can see a path for Cedric for Ryan McKenna that goes along the lines of what Cedric Mullins experienced. A couple years ago, 2018 was Cedric Mullins' first big league experience. He was 23, turned 24 at the very end of that season, so a little bit younger than Ryan McKenna is now. He was given everyday starts in center field, and he flashed as a rookie before 2019 happens. He hits 088. Falls all the way down, goes to AAA, goes to AA, and then has to work his way back up in 2020. Gets called up midseason, looks pretty good, and then takes that enormous leap this season. I don't know if that's ever going to be happen, ever going to happen for Ryan McKenna, but it is evidence that a sample size of this small nature of basically half a season, 73 games for Ryan McKenna, is not nearly enough to make a final determination on what a player is and what he can be. Yeah, certainly not a final determination in terms of what his ceiling can be. I think 
from what we've seen from Ryan McKenna this year, he's shown a lot of good flashes. He probably doesn't have the same power potential that Cedric Mullins has. I don't think we'll ever see Ryan McKenna hit 30 homers in the majors. I don't know about that. But he could be like a 20 home run guy. Well, Cedric Mullins was... Ryan McKenna was actually for his size and stature. That's the other com- big comparison with them. I mean, Mullins is five foot eight and very thin. I mean, right. it's like all muscle. He has like no fat on his body, but he's a thin guy for a power hitter. And five foot eight, not many power hitters are going to be five foot eight. And here he is close, closing in on 30 homers. Uh, and Ryan McKenna is actually a couple inches taller. He's 5'11, and he is musk, much more muscular right. than Cedric Mullins. That doesn't always translate to power, but you can see it, at least physically, right. more I, than you could Cedric Mullins. Ryan McKenna also isn't going to have a drastic change at the plate like Cedric Mullins did when he went from switch hitting to just hitting left-handed. But even if you make the case that Ryan McKenna doesn't have the same offensive ceiling, I think there's a legitimate case to be made that Ryan McKenna has a higher ceiling defensively in center field because Ryan McKenna has a much better arm than Cedric Mullins. I don't know if he's quite as fast. They're probably pretty comparable there, but Ryan McKenna has shown a lot of good things defensively in the corner outfield spots. And even if you want to keep Mullins in center and have McKenna in a corner outfield, he's at the very least a very, very good defensive replacement in center field when you need him to be a fourth outfielder. And as we've seen with Austin Hayes, if you take a center fielder and push him over to a corner outfield spot defensively, they're probably going to be very good. Yeah. In terms of power numbers, just to circle back on this, McKenna did not hit home runs at the same rate that Matt, that uh, Mullins did in his minor league career. They both played little fewer than 500 career minor league games, and maybe, Mullen, and maybe McKenna will play more at some point next year. But I think right now you can stick him up at the big leagues, especially with the expanded roster for the final couple weeks of the season. Uh, but they both played about the same number of games. Mullins had 51 career minor league homers. McKenna had 39. So not a huge discrepancy. Yeah. But certainly Mullins did show more power when he was coming up. Right. So you could probably fairly project McKenna at that point as a 15, 20 homer guy if he's starting in the majors consistently. Uh, And to your point about defense, I think the ceiling, absolutely. Because he has a 50 grade arm, you know, still considered when he was coming up as a prospect. And we've seen a pretty good arm from him uh, in the corner outfield spots. That is the one tool that Cedric Mullins is missing. I mean, he literally has four of the five tools at an above-average level at this point. He hits for contact incredibly well. He's been hitting for power. He has the speed, and he has the defensive ability. But it is just the arm that is missing. That's not an issue with Ryan McKenna. However, I don't think that he has the ability to make kind of the show-stopping plays that Cedric Mullins does because Cedric Mullins' speed is is pretty incredible, and we just haven't seen that yet. I think maybe it it is in McKenna, but he hasn't quite shown the ability to make... He's made some nice plays here and there, but I remember when Mullins first came up and he was absolutely dazzling in center field. We just haven't seen that yet, but I think that the ceiling could be higher considering he has an above average arm we haven't seen it at the rate that we've seen it from Cedric Mullins but like McKenna still made some great diving plays in left field he had that play where he robbed Gary Sanchez of a homer he is still flashy enough and has the speed to be a very good defensive outfielder the ceiling for Ryan McKenna I don't know if the Orioles are going to get to a point where Ryan McKenna is your everyday starting outfielder in either left or right field or center I suppose 
I don't know if he works into the future as a starter, but I think if you were looking at Ryan McKenna as a fourth outfielder, we've got a lot of comments on Facebook saying that he should be getting more playing time than guys like DJ Stewart. I would completely agree there. I think he has a higher ceiling than DJ Stewart. I think if Ryan McKenna is your fourth outfielder going forward, you're in a good place. Yeah, I think the reason that DJ has been getting playing time is he hits righties pretty well. And they oftentimes, because Trey Mancini has missed games, because Anthony Santander has missed games, Ryan Mountcastle at times has missed games. They need Brandon Hyde wants to have that kind of pop in the in the lineup, and McKenna doesn't offer that at this point. So they, you know, they want to stick DJ Stewart in there because he can offer some kind of theoretical power. Yeah, and on base percentage, he obviously has a much higher on base percentage. Yeah, that's the big one. DJ Stewart gets on base uh, yeah. at this point at a much better rate than Ryan McKenna does. Absolutely, but overall as a player, DJ Stewart's twenty seven, McKenna's twenty four, and also just defensively he is miles ahead of dj stewart yes where it where dj stewart has ever been in his career right mckenna is already there uh, but you look at the the potential of him and and why you mentioned him you don't know if he's going to be a starter long term we were saying the same thing about cedric mullins a few years ago cedric mullins through his first 73 big league games Hit 191 with four homers, just three stolen bases, a 571 OPS, and a negative .7 war. Through Ryan McKenna's first 73 big league games, 197 average, two homers, 588 OPS, .1 war. So Cedric Mullins was hitting 191 through his first 73 games, and and McKenna's not that much better, 197 average, both below the Mendoza line, both not showing much pop, both not even making a big difference on the base paths for two guys that are incredibly fast. McKenna's in the 95th percentile, according to StatCast and Sprint Speed, but they were not showing you much through their first 73 career games. Now, that doesn't tell the entire story because Mullins in his first season got regular at-bats in the final two months of the season. If you recall, he was your everyday center fielder when they moved Adam Jones over to a corner outfield and so, essentially, he played nine, those 73 games. He had many more plate appearances than Ryan McKenna did at this point. So, through his first, Mullen's first 144 plate appearances, and that's how about how many McKenna has had, he had a 268 average, 778 OPS. But that could also go to show that McKenna needs everyday playing time. Right. Because it's not just games, it's plate appearances. So, maybe by the point that, you know, McKenna has built up not just games, but has gotten to the point where he has built up more plate appearances, he can start to develop more as a hitter. And we know that Mullins's transformations, when they have occurred, have they occurred first. His first big transformation was at the alternate site in 2020. Remember, he broke camp with the team in 2020, then got sent down, figured something out, came back up and hit well in the final month of the season last year. And then the other one happened in the offseason when he abandoned switch hitting and figured something out at the plate. That could be the similar path for Ryan McKenna. He could have he has this offseason now to figure out what has gone wrong for him at the big leagues and how to better, you know, what adjustments he could make at the plate in order to flip a switch. So again, I don't think it's unlikely in theory that Ryan McKenna is going to be as good as Cedric Mullins is now at any point in his career. But we don't know. We don't know. It's it's too early to 
give up on a guy or to say he's just relegate him to just a fourth outfielder status because we were saying all these criticisms about Cedric Mullins a year ago and two years ago especially. Yeah, with Ryan McKenna, I mean, Cedric Mullins, if you, for years, I feel like I have been pounding on the table to start Cedric Mullins to give him playing time. You because have. I, I'll give you that. Because yeah, I've been the more defense critical. was there. Yeah. And I wanted to see what Cedric Mullins could do with more at-bats. Did I probably get a little bit lucky with that take with Cedric Mullins all of a sudden turning into an all-star caliber hitter? I probably did. I don't think Ryan McKenna has that same ceiling as I've said, but the defense for McKenna is so good at this point where I don't see a case where he should not be, at the very least, your fourth outfielder. I don't know if he is going to have that same hitting transformation as we've talked about with Cedric Mullins, but he at least deserves the chance to do so. I don't know if I would start him in right field every day over in Anthony Santander or DJ Stewart. Maybe he'll get the chance next year. We'll talk about Anthony Santander in a little bit, but Ryan McKenna at least deserves the plate appearances at this point because he has, like I said before, nothing else to show you in AAA from the plate and the defense is already there. Right. And and you, I will give you credit. You were always on the Cedric Mullins train. I have been a Cedric Mullins fan account for a while. You have, however, you know the criticism was just from the outside in the, in right. saying that he had. We had seen enough from Cedric Mullins. I mean, the guy was relegated all the way down to Double A at right. one point when he started the the 2019 season as your opening day center fielder. So there were all kinds of reasons to give up on Cedric Mullins, and you can, you couldn't be blamed for doing that. So, we hope that Ryan McKenna can reach that kind of pinnacle and can reach the best part of himself in order to unlock what Cedric Mullins unlocked in himself. We don't know if it's going to happen, but this is the time to try. This is the time to invest in him in terms of playing time and let him figure that out and and figure it out from your perspective. Because right now, Ryan McKenna isn't blocking anybody. No. You've pretty much, I think, seen what you've needed to see from DJ Stewart to determine his future. Again, we'll talk about Anthony Santander and guys like Kyle Stowers and Colton Kowser, who you're hoping are going to be your outfielders of the future, are not there yet. So Ryan McKenna, at least for the next year or so, is really not blocking any top prospect in the outfield. Well, that's a perfect segue to talk about Anthony Santander. Because the Orioles appear to be reaching a crossroads with Anthony Santander. And they may have to make a decision on Santander's future with the team as early as this offseason. Because he is not having an outstanding year. He is not playing at an above-average level. He's not doing just about anything at an above-average level. And he's going to start to get expensive. And there's going to start to be a lot more competition for his outfield spot over the coming months. It's going to start happening very quickly. Anthony Santander is just 26 years old. He turns 27 in October. However, a year ago, he was the most valuable Oriole in just 37 games, and we thought this could be the start of Anthony Santander's rise to borderline all-star level. We thought we are getting a power bat in a corner outfield, who is still young, who is still controllable, and he was a finalist for the gold glove. So he he was bringing you quality defense in a corner outfield. Yes, there were some 
questions about his durability, but we we came into the 2021 se- season saying if he can stay healthy, this guy should be entrenched at least for a season or two in a corner outfield spot. But you could make the case over the past six or so months that Anthony Santander has worsened his case to stay entrenched in a corner outfield spot going forward. Yeah, Anthony Santander was one of, if not the best player on the Orioles in 2020, at least one of the best position players. He did not have a large sample size of games, and if you were looking for Anthony Santander to build on that 2020 season, continue to be one of the better players in the Orioles lineup on a day-in and day-out basis... He did not do that. He took a step back. He took a step back much closer to what he did in 2019, where the on-base percentage was not good. It's still not good. He's hitting 249 with a 293 on-base percentage. That's not good. He has a 742 OPS, which is his lowest since the 2018 season. You can't go three-plus seasons without seeing steady, consistent improvement. The 2020 season, you can essentially look at as a small portion of a longer season. You can look at it as its own individual thing, but really just playing 37 games, that's just a hot stretch in a season. So Anthony Santander, over the last three plus years of actual playing time, has really failed to show consistent improvement over those three years. He's pretty much regressed back to where he was in 2019, which was an average outfielder at best. Yeah, and the irony is this is the healthiest he's been in an entire season. 101 games this season is the most he's ever played in a season in his career. Still not a whole lot for a guy that you were hoping was going to be a 150-game guy this season. But he has been mostly healthy. He just has not done enough with his playing time. And he is just 26, as mentioned, and he he turns 27 in the offseason. And some of the other prospects that we talk about, especially the pitching prospects, we say don't give up on these guys because they're Dean Kramer's 25. You know, Mike Bauman is, is 26 now. There's still plenty of time for these guys. But we've seen a lot of Anthony Santander at the big league level. And for him to not develop, he was better last year, like you said. He was better a couple years ago. And he's being asked to do more, maybe, because he's in the middle of the lineup and there's less in a lineup that really doesn't have much power outside of, weirdly, Cedric Mullins and Trey Mancini. You know, he's being relied on a little bit more. But the concerning things are him not getting on base more, him not learning to control the strike zone better, him not improving his defense. He arguably looks worse defensively and right than he did last year. And even that last year, that that gold glove... Uh, finalist that he got in right field was he one of the three best defensive right fielders in the American League last year no chance probably not probably not it is a difficult right field to play I will grant you that at Camden Yards because that ball I mean you take two steps back and the ball's already off the wall and then it bounces past you it's it's a ridiculously hard right field to play so you know I'll, I'll give you that however he has not been above average at just about anything this season and it the stats tell that story as well 249 average uh, so far this year just 17 homers that's one fewer than Austin Hayes uh, 21 walks 742 OPS so that's an OPS plus so OPS plus is uh, of 97 OPS plus puts everything on a uh, 100 is the average so if you're 
have 110 OPS plus and it controls for ballpark factors and league average, then you're 10% better than the average hitter. So he's 3% worse than the average hitter for a guy that is playing a corner outfield spot. It's not like he's playing shortstop and you're saying, well, he's playing a premier defensive position. The glove is worth a slightly below average offensive output. No, you need your right fielder to be one of the biggest bats in your lineup. And he just has not been this year. If you are looking for your right fielder to be one of your better defenders on the team, and that's the case that you're making to start somebody in right field, then you would be starting Ryan McKenna. You wouldn't be starting Anthony Santander. And it's been a really nice development this year to see Austin Hayes kind of take over that left field spot. He's stayed healthy. He's looked good. So going into the 2022 season, you hopefully have two outfield spots that are totally locked down with Cedric Mullins in center and Austin Hayes in left. I think there's a legitimate case to be made that some combination of Ryan McKenna and whatever prospect is ready next year would make as good of, if not better, of a right field combination than trying to start Anthony Santander every day would. Well, what does war tell you? Wins above replacement. Anthony Santander has a 0.0 war this year. And Ryan McKenna has a 0.1. Literally, one guy is, they are replacement level players. That's what that means. They're providing you no more wins than the replacement level player, which means they can be replaced incredibly easily. Right. Um, And you mentioned Austin Hayes, and I think that's an interesting comparison to make because these two guys are the same age. Austin Hayes is also 26. Austin Hayes has also been up at the big league level for a couple years. But you've seen some improvement. And Austin Hayes is not putting out ridiculous numbers. He's hitting about the same. He's hitting 253. He's got an OPS a few points higher at 751 compared, or actually a couple points lower, 751 compared to, no, higher, never mind. 751 compared to 742 for Anthony Santander. Uh, and he's got 18 homers, which is one more than Anthony Santander. But he his defense gives you much more I mean, Anthony Santander is a okay defensive right fielder. Austin Hayes is a great defensive corner outfielder and could be a very good defensive center fielder. So Austin Hayes gives you much more. And so that's why when you talk about these two guys, you mentioned Austin Hayes being entrenched in the the corner outfield going into next year and why Anthony Santander, who has similar offensive numbers, is not, is because Austin Hayes gives you other things. And Austin Hayes has shown you steady improvement throughout the course of his major league career. So that's why Austin Hayes has a step up where Anthony Santander does not. And Anthony Santander realistically is not going to be all that expensive next year. He's going to be more expensive than a lot of other guys that are on the team, but he is not going to cost you a ton. So the Orioles... I think you can make a case that you bring Anthony Santander back for one more year, see if there is any improvement there, if he can stay healthy a little bit more consistently, because a healthy Anthony Santander is still hopefully somebody who can give you 20 to 25 home runs in the middle of the lineup, but it is discouraging to see that we have not really seen any improvement from Anthony Santander over the last few years offensively or just even health-wise consistency and what is 25 to 20 20 home runs give you in the middle of the lineup anymore that's not it's not a ton not not to 
be an old guy in baseball, but that's not what it used to be. You know, it, usually now you're looking, if the guy's in the middle of your lineup, you're looking for a little bit more than 25 homers. Right, and you're definitely looking for an on-base percentage that's higher than 290. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so you mentioned to, to put some numbers to how expensive he's going to be. He earned $2.1 million in arbitration this past year. I think he was a super two player, so he he still has three more years of control. He's not going to be a free agent until 2025. He's definitely going to get a raise in arbitration this year because you play 100 games, you hit 17 homers. That $2.1 million is going to go up. I don't know how much it's going to go up by. I'm not an MLB trade rumors guy that can be able to calculate that. If I had to guess, it's probably going to be shy of $10 million, but... Definitely, I would guess in the five to eight million dollar range. If I had to just guess, so that guy is is like you said, that's still relatively cheap for a guy that you're expecting to play roughly every day. But it is more expensive than some of his counterparts. Right. Ryan McKenna is pre-arbitration eligible. Austin Hayes is pre-arbitration eligible. He's not arbitration eligible until 2023. And then you have the guys that are right on the cusp. You have Kyle Stowers, who has been mashing the ball in AAA Norfolk since he just got called up, or mostly AA, and then, you know, he's got only had like 10 games so far. Yeah, I don't know if Kyle Stowers, I would classify as right on the cusp, but I think we'll probably see You're him AAA. next year. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he's, he's like he I don't think he's going to break the team out of camp. No, no, but I don't we think could that. probably see Kyle Stowers within a few months of next. Yes, season. I agree. Yeah. I agree. So. That's a couple months into, you know, that's right. only a couple months for Anthony Santander before you want to get your eyes on Stowers, who's 23. Uh, he's got 25 homer, or 26, I think he hit his 26th a couple days ago, across three levels of the minor leagues. He is flying up. Uh, he's in the, on his third level in in 2021. You have Robert Newstrom, who is not as highly rated, touted as a prospect. He's 24 years old, former member of the Orioles' top 30 prospect list. Uh, and has been doing pretty well in AAA Norfolk. Yeah, OPS. great raw power from Robert yeah. Newstrom. Uh, OPS over 800. So not imperative that he's going to come up and you know get regular playing time, but hey, you know he could offer you something. And then you've got Zach Watson, who's uh, in also a member of the 2019 draft class along with Stowers. He's 24. Uh, he's still in AA, but is probably at least going to start next season at AAA because he's got a 2020 season, 20 homers. 20 stolen bases for Bowie. Uh, so you have those three guys that you want to get a look on, look at. You're hoping you see something from Yusniel Diaz. I don't know if you factor him into your plans at this point. I think anything that you get from him at this point is maybe going to be a benefit, a bonus. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't think you're going to say we need to get rid of Anthony Santander for Yusniel Diaz, but he's another guy out there. Uh, you've got Johnny Riser who's hitting pretty well at Double A Bowie. So you have this young crop of outfielders that. On the cusp, by that I mean you could make a case that one or two of those guys could be debuting midseason next year, and you could make a case that several of those guys will be on your opening day roster in 2023. I think there's a few different arguments that you can make for what to do with Anthony Santander. I think there's a legitimate case to be made for pretty much every possibility. The first one being that you just re-sign him for next year. You see if there is any improvement. And if there is, you know, if he can get his on-base percentage up, if he can stay healthy for a year, maybe it turns into an Austin Hayes type of situation where he gives you a season of healthy play and you are finally able to see what you have in him and hopefully it's something good. 
The second option is that you try to move him, whether it's in the offseason or early in the year. I don't know if he provides a ton of value to another team in a trade, but I think he at least offers enough where you could at least give it a look in a trade. I don't know if you're going to get a ton back. You probably won't get a top prospect. I think the window in which you would trade Anthony Santander for a top guy somewhere was probably closer to last year than it is this year. Yeah. But I think the option of trading him is still on the board. I think there's also a fair argument to be made where if if we're estimating, because again, we're not sure, if you think Anthony Santander is going to make somewhere in the $5 million to $8 million range in arbitration going into next season, is there a case to be made where you non-tender Anthony Santander and say, okay, we're comfortable with starting Ryan McKenna in right. We want to get him more consistent at bats, see if he can continue to develop because we know we're going to have a great defensive right fielder who can maybe show some pop, maybe develop more in right field, and then go use that five to eight million that you saved on Santander, go sign a pitcher. Right. Yeah. And, and for what you're looking for in the offseason, that could get you an okay starter. Yeah more than what they've paid for starters in recent years. I don't know the last time they gave $5 million to a pitcher. Probably would have been the Alex Cobb or Andrew Kashner contracts pre-Michael Elias era. Yeah, but given the Orioles' outfield depth and given the fact that Ryan McKenna is there not starting at this point, I think there's a legitimate case to be made that if you're going to spend 5 to $8 million on a player, then you can probably be better served spending it somewhere other than a right fielder. Yeah, it's a bird in the hand versus two in the bush kind of argument here because Anthony Santander is a real physical MLB player right now, and the guys that we mentioned in Stowers and Watson and Diaz, they you still aren't 100% sure they're going to come up and be everyday average outfielders. Right. You don't know you're hoping that one or two of them hits. And for the meantime, those guys, I think the, the biggest one that has, you know, the highest ceiling at this point is Stowers of those guys that I mentioned that, that are probably going to debut in 2022. And then longer term, you have the guys that you think could legitimately be, I think Colton Cowser at this point, several years away from the majors, but... They, they drafted him with the expectation he's going to be in your major league outfield for several years. Yes. So do you do you let a guy walk or move a guy that you know is going to be an average outfielder for maybe a little bit more than you're willing to pay for the theoretical value of Stowers, of Diaz, in next year? And to me, I think of those three options that you presented, Brendan, I think from the front office perspective, if you're willing to stomach paying that, this year, I think that the most likely outcome is that you keep him on your roster. You don't trade him because, frankly, a 0.0 war player, to me, what are you going to get for that? It's really not going to give you much. A team would be banking on the potential of Santander that he has flashed here and there, yeah. but he hasn't really flashed it enough to get a huge trade value. But I would agree. I think the most likely outcome is he stays on the team for next year. But I think he is, if you're looking at the Orioles outfield chopping block, I think he is kind of moving up that list in terms of who is next on right. the way out. To me, if you're going to trade him, and we can talk more about it in the offseason, a team has to be looking at him to be an everyday outfielder. 
And to me, he hasn't shown enough to do that. So that's why I think it made more, more sense to trade him right before the season or midseason when players were getting hurt because they needed a replacement player and he could come in and be a right fielder for a few months because he doesn't fit a typical prototype of a fourth outfielder. So you're not going to trade for him and say this is your fourth outfielder because he can't play all three outfield positions. So you, usually you want that fourth outfielder to be fast enough to play in center, good enough defensively to be a late-game defensive replacement. So a team would have to be looking at Anthony Santander and saying, this guy can be our everyday right fielder, and we're willing to give up assets for that. And I don't know how many teams are willing to say that. Not many. Really, the only thing that I can think of in terms of an Anthony Santander trade is if a National League team needs a DH and outfield depth. When they get a DH next year? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's that's really the only thing that I can think of. But do you want a 290 on base percentage yeah. guy as your DH? You can sign that guy in free agency. Right. You know, to a, a contract that will be comparable to what he's going to get in arbitration. Right. So, you know, it, I think... Anthony Santander will probably stick around. I think that's the most likely outcome. I think if there's one outfielder on the Orioles roster right now that is probably on the outside looking in, it's DJ Stewart. Yes. I don't think he has shown enough. He hasn't shown as much as Anthony Santander has. And if you're going to decide between one of those two, I think the Orioles would probably opt for Anthony Santander, who you can start every day and right, whereas DJ Stewart, I think if you were keeping Stewart and McKenna, wouldn't be very comfortable starting DJ Stewart every day in right field. So I think if you're looking at the outfield depth, I think DJ Stewart is the one who's probably on his way out, whereas Anthony Santander is, I think, closer to the chopping block than he was at the beginning of the year but still not the first name on that chopping block list. Well, DJ Stewart is still pre-arbitration eligible. He's not arbitration eligible until 2023. So is going to make about 10 times as much. <laughs> That's true. As uh, DJ Stewart is making this year. But if the Orioles are in desperate need of a roster spot when they start adding guys to their 40-man in order to protect them from the Rule 5 draft, I wouldn't be shocked if they DFA DJ Stewart. Yeah, I mean, this is a discussion for the offseason, yeah. I think, but... You, know, you could probably make a case that you would rather at least try to see what you have with somebody like Yusniel Diaz rather yeah. than somebody who you've seen what you have with DJ Stewart. If you had to put, we've played this game before, not to much success. If you had to put uh, 100 birds, you're given 100 birds, Okay. three outcomes. One, Anthony Santander stays and makes your 2022 opening day roster. Two, he's traded this offseason. Three, he gets non-tendered. How many birds would you put on each of them? Most likely, not what you would do if you were GM, what you think could occur. I think I would put 70 on him staying. Yep. I think I would put 20 on him being non-tendered, and I think I would put 10 on him being dealt. I, I would align with those numbers. Yeah, I think there, there's, there's just not a high enough percent. There's not enough demand. Yeah. The, the other, we mentioned Colton Kowser being your long-term outfielder. Possibility of uh, Elijah Green? Yeah, Elijah Green, Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad, Kyle Stowers. Orioles are still in line for the number one or number two overall pick, and Elijah Green is the top prospect uh, in the draft, at least eight months out or however many months out we are, ten months out, and uh, he's looking like a franchise centerpiece. That kid's a slam dunk. So I'll say it right now. That's my money on the table. Elijah Green's a slam dunk. So if you're an outfielder in the Orioles system and 
and your name's not Cedric Mullins, and the Orioles draft Elijah Green, I think you got to be looking out. Yeah. Because I don't know how long you're going to be able to stay. All right. Let's talk about some of the youngsters in the system right now that are working their way up because we mentioned some of the guys at the higher levels. I want to jump all the way down to low A, to single A Del Marva, because they have been playing outstanding baseball since the majority of the 2021 Orioles draft class joined them on August 17th or 16th. The If you recall, we had a mass migration Pun intended. Talking about uh, birds. Good know, one. Flying up, uh, flying up for the winter. You know. Yeah. Thank you Instead for. Instead of flying down. It's always better when you explain the yeah, joke too. That's that's what they say. Uh, going from the FCL Florida Complex League and going to Delmarva, we saw the likes of Colton Kowser and Connor Norby go up to migrate together. We saw uh, Kobe Mayo. Join those guys as well, even though he wasn't a member of the 2021 draft class. He was 2020 high school prospect. They're 16 and 8 since that happened. And this was a team that had good prospects to start the season. You had Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg. Those guys moved on. You had a weird middle part where you didn't really have any top prospects because you were waiting for the 2021 draft class to arrive. They did, and they are just hitting the cover off the ball. And we are seeing the fruits of. When you draft a million position players that have good contact skills in the first 10 rounds of the draft and you put them all on the same team, they're going to destroy the competition. These guys have been playing outstanding baseball. If you're listening from the Eastern Shore area, I would definitely recommend going to see them. Even if you're in Baltimore, worth the two-hour trip to go see these guys because you have one week left to see them. They're 64-50 and 50 on the season, 16-8 and eight as mentioned since that happened, and they're five games out of the second playoff spot, the final playoff spot, with six games to play, and the team that they play is the Salem Red Sox, and the Salem Red Sox are the team that they need to take the playoff spot from. They have one team in between them, but if they do a six-game sweep, they could be in the playoffs, Brendan. Yeah, I think there's... <laughs> It's it's a little bit funny to look at the stats because I think there's probably a because case to be absurd. made. It, well, they are absurd. I mean, Colton Kowser is hitting close to 380 with an OPS over one. Kobe Mayo, Kobe Mayo has a batting average over 300, and he is your power hitter in the lineup. Connor Norby is the one who's probably hitting the worst out of all of them, and he has like an 850 OPS. <laughs> the numbers are a little funny because I think there's probably a case that most of those guys should not be in Delmarva right now. You would probably call them up if this was, you know, if, if you were just looking at it in terms of what is your skill level, what level should you be at in the minors? I think there's a case to be made that especially guys like Colton Kowser should probably be moved up from Delmarva. But you can also make a really solid case that these guys should stick together and should get the experience of trying to make a playoff push because the team has been really good since they've all arrived there. And getting that team chemistry and getting this draft class to kind of move up together and continue to develop together, there's a very strong case to be made that you should continue to kind of just move these guys up as a group a little bit. Yeah, well, when you talk about the rebuild, a lot of people bring up the fact that it's difficult to get guys who don't, you want to see winning. It's not just putting up stats from top prospects. Winning together at a lower level, it's hard to quantify how much to put a legitimate number on it, but it does make a difference. When they win together, you have more team chemistry, more camaraderie, 
or investment, personal investment in the team and the organization so that when you get up to the major leagues, you are a group that has been playing together for a while. At least a few of you are. You know, the entire, it's not like we're going to be sitting here in 2024 saying the entire 2021 draft class is in the major leagues, but some of them played together. You have a kinship amongst them and they know what winning tastes like. And that's why the Orioles, I think, are keeping these guys together. Because we talked about, we talked to Orioles Director of Player Development, Matt Blood, when they this group got called up, and he said that they were looking at the entire uh, roster for the For- Florida Complex League and saying, this guy's hitting well, this guy's hitting well, and we can move this guy up and that guy up. Why not all of them? <laughs> because why not just keep them together? And that's something that they have actually emphasized I heard it on on the Verge podcast, Matt Blood also talking about how during the shutdown they were doing activities together on Zoom in order to make sure that these guys were still in touch with each other, were learning about each other, were still building that team chemistry when they were away from the field. That's something that matters. And again, it's not something that you can quantify, but that kind of matters. And so while, yes, Colton Cowser would probably benefit from a week of seeing single A or high A ball at, at Aberdeen and high A pitchers. But what's a week going to do? What's a week? Yeah. And and would he benefit more from, you know, making a potential playoff run with these guys? Imagine if they make the, the playoffs and he gets a, a taste of minor league playoff baseball. You know, that's that's at least better than no minor league playoff baseball. You know, it's not, it's not like a high, incredibly high stakes environment, but it's a taste of winning. Yeah. And if you look at, other rebuilds across the majors you look at teams like the Astros the Royals the Cubs teams that have completely rebuilt their teams in recent years their minor league teams win yeah that's the that's the formula and it's not by accident no because you have a lot of good players in the minor leagues and if your prospect is if your prospect system is as good as advertised you should be winning a lot of minor league games. Yeah. And that's what the Orioles are doing doing across multiple levels. They are winning a lot of games in the minors. Yeah, these aren't just empty stats. I mean, you mentioned Kowser hitting 377 with a 986 OPS. That's ridiculous. Uh, Norby with the worst at 850 OPS. Kobe Mayo hitting uh, with a 954 OPS. Jacob Teeter, funniest guy on the team, they said. Goofball, first baseman, 936 OPS. Very good. It's the cover off the ball. Uh, so you have this group of guys that I think oh, you could make the case maybe those four guys could start out 2022 in high A together. Definitely. Uh, so fun group. And they have a one plus 143 run differential, which is second best in the league. So even though the record is the fourth best in the league, they're still beating the heck out of teams. Yeah, and they've got a good record since those guys came up. and Which is the important thing. Hopefully if they can win five out of six yeah. or six-game sweep, We'll see him in the playoffs. The only other team fighting for a playoff spot in the minor leagues, and part of the reason that these teams, not as many teams are making the playoffs this year is they pared down the system so that there are only two league, two teams from every league uh, make the playoffs. So it's not like a, you know, you have the semifinals and the finals. They just go to the championship game. Right. Uh, this is this new system this year. So, you know, th- even though Bowie and Delmarva might not make the playoffs, they're still good teams. Yes. Uh, Bowie is play, fighting for a playoff spot. They're 68 and 44, third place in the league. They've won eight in a row. Uh, they have their one game back of the final playoff spot, and they have seven games left in the final week of the season against Altoona, who is a just so so team. All seven of those games are at home. So if you're in the Baltimore area, in the Bowie area, 
in Maryland in general, I would suggest going down to, to Bowie and getting one of your final looks at the team because you're also seeing Gunnar Henderson now. Yeah. A lot of fun players on that team to watch. You can see Jordan Westberg, Kyle Stowers, J.D. Mundy. Or not Stowers anymore. He yeah. just got promoted. Uh, Westberg, Mundy, Joey Ortiz, Johnny Reiser, Zach Watson, Grayson Rodriguez. A lot of fun players Toby on that team. Welk. Toby Welk. Yeah. Gunnar Henderson just getting promoted 20 years old. Pretty good. Pretty good. 65 games in uh, the high A level. And I know people were looking at his average and saying, well, he only hit 230. How come he got bumped up from high A to double A with that low average. He also had a 343 on base percentage. He was taking walks. He had nine homers, a 775 OPS. I think I saw from friend of the pod, Bob Phelan, that he had a, he had hit safely or been on base safely in 19 straight games right before the promotion. So even though, don't let the low average fool you, Gunnar Henderson was still hitting pretty well in high A. He's also only 13 still, so it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, it's a... 13 is going to be pretty young. Yeah. Even before the age you can actually get signed. It's exactly. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun over the final week of the season. Then Norfolk, of course, continues into October. So you will get, we'll get a little bit more of Adley Rutschman, of Kyle Stowers, of Rylan Bannon, of Yusniel Diaz, of Kyle Bradish, of Kevin Smith. Who a lot of good prospects. <laughs> I'm forgetting. Yeah. That's, that's just about it. Yeah. Um, so... That uh, That's the farm report. Anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? Not that I can think of. All right. I, I think that I will potentially slowly transition from a Cedric Mullins stand account. I feel like I was the Cedric Mullins stand account before it was cool. You were. I feel like now I kind of have to transition to Ryan McKenna stand account. Feels fitting. Yeah. Hipster. Yeah. Uh, all right. That just about does it for our podcast. We're going to have probably couple more before the regular season ends. Thanks to Bobby Blanco, our producer today. You can follow Brendan at Brendan Morty on Twitter. I am at Paul Mancano on Twitter. Of course, you can catch the podcast on all of your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all that good stuff. Watch live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter every single week. We will be back next week. I'm Paul Mancano. He's Brendan Mortensen. We'll catch you next time.